Hello and welcome to Cruise Club. We've got the Need the Need to Podcast. This is episode 29, Lions for Lambs from 2007. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, Mike, we have someone back from You Like My Hat, Shannon, all the way back from <laughs> Ireland. All the way back from, from Punching Horses in the Face. <laughs> not really Ireland, but Punching Horses in the Face being revived. Michael, I, I'm, before I introduce you... You have to realize there are so many movies where Tom Cruise has been killed and brought back to life or like fake dead and then came back to life. And I feel like far and away, the last episode you were on sort of set us down this weird path that we did not expect with us tonight. Michael DeManico. Hello, Michael. Hello. Yeah. Far and away is far and away the uh, the weird one, huh? I guess so. It's, it's a weird out. movie. I like can't remember watching that movie even remotely. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I did watch that movie. <laughs> And it's like three hours. <laughs> yeah, there are movies that we have done for podcasts that when we're by the end of the podcast, we're like, do we, wait, like, especially Charlize, like Charlize is in a handful of movies that mm-hmm. Mike and I have been like, wait, what's that? Is that the Jennifer Lawrence one? Is that the, wait, what is that? It's weird to have talked about a movie and then listened back to the episode and edited the episode, posted about it and thought about it and then completely forget that you have ever talked about that movie. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that with a lot of the Hank stuff, too, I think a little more than, than the Cruise stuff, but it happens. But welcome. Thank you so much for being here. The reason you are here is because you have your own podcast, Not Her Again, yes. which for the first season was all about Meryl Streep, who just so happens to be in this movie. And not only that, but happens to be in the segment with Mr. Tom Cruise. Yeah, she gets a lot of FaceTime with him. Had you seen this movie before, since it was a Meryl movie? I actually had not seen this movie before. It may be surprising no one. It was not nominated for any Oscars. It was nominated for an AARP award oh, of some kind. Well, that's nice. And they just gave the Best Actor award this year to Adam Sandler, so they know what they're doing. Yes, Best, yeah. best Actress nominee, Meryl Streep. Oh, good for her. And then the Alliance of Women Film Journalists nominated Meryl Streep for Actress Defying Age and Ageism, oh. which is a very specific category. Who boy. Also, I don't know if that's necessarily true, given the role, but we'll get into it later. Like, I think that they're kind of like, you're a hack, but but all right. <laughs> <laughs> that year, Julie Christie won for Away From Her. She defied age and ageism more than Meryl or more than Brenda Blethyn or more than Vanessa Redgrave. So, huh. um, And she also won Best Actress the AARP Award. So who knows? Before we get into it, because I don't know that people have seen this movie, because considering, Mike, you and I like Tom Cruise enough to have do a podcast about him and neither of us had seen this movie, and Michael had an entire podcast about Meryl and he hadn't seen this movie... I don't know who has seen this movie. Yeah. As a quick rundown, quick summary, I think it's a pretty straightforward movie directed by Robert Redford, written by Matthew Michael Carnahan. Oh, he wrote the new Dark Waters movie, which I really liked. He wrote 21 Bridges. He wrote World War Z. He wrote The Kingdom. So he's written some good movies. Okay. This movie tells three stories, kind of in real time, over the span of about an hour. Tom Cruise plays a Republican senator who's sort of a presidential hopeful being interviewed by Meryl Streep, who is there to get the story of this like new initiative that they're going to win the war on terror, essentially. And so this is kind of a publicity stunt, and Meryl's there to sort of suss out the BS, sort of tell the actual story as opposed to just the story that the government wants to have them tell. Number two, we've got Robert Redford and Andrew Garfield speaking to each other. He's a teacher. Andrew Garfield's one of his students. He's trying to encourage Andrew Garfield, who seems to be at college more for partying than for studying to 
basically makes something of his life. It ties into the third story, which is about Michael Pena and an actor whose name I don't know. His character name is Arian, and they are over in Afghanistan, I want to say. Yeah, I think it becomes Iran. They're in the Middle East. Michael Pena falls out of a helicopter after it's attacked by the Taliban, and he falls and doesn't die, and then his friend, Arian, jumps to sort of try to save him or be with him or, you know, help keep him, you know, cover fire, covering fire to get rescued. Then we find out that they have also been students of Robert Redford, and they were these sort of ambitious, bright students who, after graduation, decided instead to go on and make lots of money, as they probably could, they instead enrolled in the war, and by the end of the movie, they get shot and killed, Andrew Garfield's life has changed forever, Tom Cruise leaves, and Meryl has to try to figure out what's going on. The movie is blessedly short at 84 minutes Mm. without credits, which is amazing. (laughs) I did not think we were going to have another short movie, which is, thank you so much. Yeah, that's kind of the movie, and I know that Mike did not love it, and I don't want—I don't want to put too many words in his mouth. But Michael, what did you think of this movie the first time that you, if considering this is the first time that you've seen it? Yeah, I actually really liked it, and I think that part of it was that I went in with low expectations because I knew it was not a particularly beloved movie. I went in being like, okay, we'll see how this is, and then I saw the running time, and I was like, wait, maybe I was wrong. Maybe this is going to be great because it's going to be like <laughs> eighty-four minutes, as you said. And then it moves really quickly, and I think it doesn't always hit every theme that it wants. Mm -hmm. Like, it kind of, some parts of it are undercooked, some parts I think are kind of just right. But overall, I enjoyed it and thought it was trying to say interesting things, even if it didn't always execute those interesting things super well. It's very, like, play-oriented, so I thought, okay, I'll look up, this must have been a play before. And it wasn't, but it's very talky, but I thought that the dialogue was particularly... Well written. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And Mike, what about you? I know that you are not particularly a fan of this movie. <laughs> you know, I don't mean I don't want to like rag on it too hard, but like, no, I was not uh, a fan of this. I mean, maybe maybe because I was expecting more Cruise uh, out of it, and you know, he's just sitting in a chair behind a desk the entire movie, and he's not even in the last half hour. I was just woefully unprepared for what unfolded in front of me. I think, in my whole like state of mind, was not up for watching a movie like this um i don't know i like i like robert redford but this seemed especially sort of like heavy-handed and preachy and borderline pretentious to me and especially that that stuff with andrew garfield and him in the in the in his office like i've had long talks with teachers and stuff about life and everything but it just like kept going around in circles i love everybody here like i love andrew garfield i love meryl streep i love michael pena i like peter berg back here for a minute and you know he was in a previous tom cruise movie ultimately did not uh, gel for me this day i i don't think i would ever really revisit it and but i wouldn't like tell people not to check it out like this, this i could understand and this is other people's cup of tea. I'm not going to sit here for an hour and, and like bash it or anything, but like, yeah, I just, I really did not enjoy it this time. I think I landed somewhere between the two of you. I think I was sort of prepping for the worst because I saw Mike's rating on Letterboxd and you also texted me to warn me. And I was like, oh boy. <laughs> and then the movie starts and I'm like, this is all right. I can see where this is going. And I think it does get heavy handed at points, but I think depending on what you think its mission is, is or what it's trying to get you to do i think it either works really well or works okay like i think it's kind of heavy-handed in what it does but if it's just encouraging people to look at the world differently around them sort of think outside the box and just wonder like kind of question things and like is this the way that we should be doing things could we be doing something something else? Are these radical ideas or whatever something that is actually radical? And I feel like, in a way, it encourages critical thinking 
even apolitically, encourages critical thinking in a very exciting and enticing way. Michael, your point about it being very talky and being like a play, I think it, that works to that benefit there. Every scene where sort of the longer that we're with one of the one of the scenes, I think it works even better. Like there's a chunk of this movie where Robert Redford is talking to Michael Pena and his classmate Arian and like he it, we're there for what feels like 15 or 20 minutes. I feel like that's like where the movie works really well because I feel like one thing that I didn't love about this is that every time we go from one story to the other. It's just like, it's kind of, I think, what I feel a lot in movies like this, I think it's hard to really nail that balance, but I always want more of whatever story we're getting, we're leaving. It's like, oh, this was just getting good, and then we go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the movie, when it is able to sit with a story a little bit longer, whether that's Cruz and Merrill, whether that's Robert Redford and Andrew Garfield, or Robert Redford with the, the soldiers, or whatever, I think that the longer we're with any of those, I think the more exciting and the more interesting and sort of the, the more deep and philosophical the movie gets and i think it works well i don't think this is an especially great movie i think it's good i enjoyed watching it i love the performances in this i couldn't help but admire the two heads of hair on robert redford and andrew garfield like holy like that is those are two good looking dudes in that room right there like i wow i really enjoyed the movie and i think part of it was and this is like a compliment, I guess, to you, Mike, is that you you warned me for you you had me bracing for the worst, and I kind of was like, oh, I, I, I like this. <laughs> and I really do that. I really sort of throw up a flare from time to time. Like <laughs> I know. That. But one last note for me on, on what I didn't quite fit for me is like this feels like a very specific period in time right like 9-11 is just sort of occurred and it was like Bush's war on terror and mission accomplished you know what I'm saying like there's a certain rhetoric to like the background of this film because of the time that it's made in and I think maybe like having lived through that and being inundated with all that sort of like language is sort of worn on me and maybe a younger audience would benefit from this film a bit more someone who you know is in college maybe or, or like close around that age I could see it reaching a person like that deeper you know what i'm saying and actually like being meaningful and stuff so like i I understand like good points about this film are are there as well so michael let's start with you what is your favorite do you have favorite part i mean i guess you're a little bit biased toward meryl is it something that meryl did or one of her scenes or is there something else about this movie that you like more than the rest of this movie yeah i think it's just entertaining to watch meryl streep and tom cruise go toe-to-toe together i thought that i was like you know what is this like you were saying like it is heavy-handed it is a little too much at certain points but I was like, you know what? Like, it's not a bad day at the movies when you watch these two actors just like alone in a room together, just like acting and reacting off of each other. This is not meant to be political at all. I just think that this movie really nails like Tom Cruise is basically playing what like a Marco Rubio is. Like, he's this like young, fresh face. And then you're watching in like 20. 20- Twenty or whatever year it is now and you're like oh that's not really the direction <laughs> things went but it looked like the direction that things were going in so i think the movie does like a great job of predicting the rise of like the marco rubio types because tom cruise just feels like so in that mold of like this like young conservative person who's like redefining what it means to be conservative you know it just felt like kind of prescient in that way i was most interested in the the Meryl and Tom Cruise stuff because I also just found those parts the most compelling about the way that the media was involved in the, you know, the buildup to the war in Iraq and the war in Afghanistan and the way that that relationship between the press and the government was not like the most artfully explored, but at least it felt like, okay, they're, they're trying to get at a point. They're trying to create some gray areas. 
So I think that their scenes together were, like you said, I'm probably biased, but I think their scenes together were the ones that I was most uh, invested in. Tom Cruise was, like, born to play a politician. Like, he just yeah. looks so good, like, in that role, right? Like, yes. he just, like, he, he embodies that type of character. Has he played one before in, in the in the podcast series that you're doing? Like, I was thinking that, too. I was like, no. he should just play governors. Like, he's really good <laughs> at this, like, politician thing. I think the closest he got it was sort of, like, a, a high-profile lawyer, right? Like, in the firm or something like yeah. that. Yeah. This sticks great like i would love to see the like him and merrill do like a mammoth play called the politician yeah and it's just the two of them for three hours in a room or something like yeah it's terrific stuff yeah i think that you're right like mike the firm and then probably the second closest would be like a jerry Maguire kind yeah. of like an office type but like other than that like he's so at least to this point in his career he's so focused on being an action star he's less so like this is kind of an interesting role because it's new for him and also he doesn't really have to carry the movie he's able to really like go for it in these scenes and he's probably on screen with her for maybe 15 minutes possibly like she's got an extra five-ish minutes that he's not on screen when he steps out for a moment and then at the end when she's talking to kevin dunn ben from veep yeah but like he's not there that much and he's able to like literally shine like flash that movie star smile and sell his like political like whatever message they're trying to push like he's able to focus in on that and just exude confidence and like this is the story you know what we did mess up and we can't forget that and it's just like oh like yeah like i yes i get it yeah he was great i would vote for him <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah i would switch parties <laughs> right kevin dunn also shy his dad in transformers the best part of transformers the parts about the humans yes 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 mike what was your favorite part of this movie obviously like the cruise stuff like kept me entertained I mean, even though i was just sort of thinking like man like this must have been like a cakewalk for him like between the last few movies he's made where he's just been running down the street for miles and now he's just sitting behind a desk for what like this couldn't took more than like three days for him to shoot but my favorite part believe it or not is the stuff with the two soldiers like when they're trapped on the ridge on the mountain like you said this guy wrote like world war z and like other combat type films like that for me was when this movie kind of like sort of came alive like when we switch over to the war in afghanistan and peter berg is barking orders and michael pena and his buddy you know following them on the chopper and then the attack i just thought it was uh, a very unusual i've never really seen that in a war film before where it's just like two guys trapped on a ridge in the middle of like fucking nowhere like literally like they fell out of a helicopter and i was like i was pulling for them but you just know they're not getting out of there and they, you just keep thinking they might just make it out and like believe it or not like those that was the part to me where i was like this is getting gritty and gripping and you know maybe it's because it's also the only time where like two people aren't sitting across from each other at a desk i kind of like elements of all three stories the best I, I still sort of think this movie really crackles in a way when robert redford and andrew garfield are speaking to each other i, I don't know why i can't really describe that the movie manages in a way to take two types of characters who could be really unlikable, kind of that like smug professor in a way, and the pompous Greek fraternity president, and manages to make them both like charming and likable. And I don't know, I don't know how it does that. Maybe just by the acting performances alone, by Robert Redford's direction, I don't know what it is. But those scenes, I think, were just like this, I would almost take like an hour long of that. Like I would like to see 
an hour of Cruz and Merrill. I would also see, like to see an hour of that, where it's just the two of them trying to figure out, like, what is the opportunity you're offering me? What do you want me to do? What do you get out of this? This is, like, really funny because we all chose a different third to be like, this is my favorite part. I didn't love the Robert Redford, Andrew Garfield thing. I think it will actually grow on me. When I was watching it, I was like, okay, what is Robert Redford trying to get at? Like, what is he trying to convince us? Like, why is he spending all this time with this, like, one lazy student who never shows up to class? Like, what benefit is he really getting out of this? And I think it's trying to say maybe some interesting things about, like, you know, Robert Redford, he's not, like, a rah-rah enlist kind of guy. Like, he was in Vietnam, and he didn't like that his other students enlisted, but he's also, like, a get-involved-in-another-way, but, like, that other way can be a thousand things, and it's not really clear what he's asking Andrew Garfield to do besides just, like, give a shit about things, which is, like, interesting in its own way, but I think when you're watching it, it's a little bit... Like, oh, what's going on here? And where's this building? And it never really built to somewhere super clear. But in some ways, that's also more interesting, right? Because again, it's allowing this like gray area to be there where it's not like he was just trying to convince him to, you know, run for office or whatever it was. He was just kind of convincing him to care. When you're in it, it's a little bit more confusing, especially because you're juxtaposing it with the combat scenes and these like intense scenes with Meryl Streep and Tom Cruise about like the media and how responsible or not they are for getting us into war or whatever. So like that one always felt a little bit like the odd one out. It's tough because they want all three to feel equally important and they should, but I'm not sure that they do for me. And I think part of it might be because they are so oftenly interrupted when like Joey, I think you mentioned like as soon as they're sort of like on a roll, you kind of get taken away from that kind of stuff Mm. and there was a point during the redford garfield where i was like i knew what they were going for and i wanted to be into it and i could see on another day where i might be down with with what was going on in that office and stuff because it seems like robert redford finally sort of found someone he could kind of go toe-to-toe with in an argument you know where it's like oh here's a student that actually has like a spark in him my class isn't doing it for him because like that's just you know whatever trivial knowledge he can get from a book this this kid sort of needs like street smarts and stuff it's so it's kind of interesting to see like this weathered old or ex-protesting uh professor you know go up against the new generation who thinks like you know entitlement and stuff that's what was coming to my mind is like here's a kid who thinks like he could just walk through life because he's just like this hot white guy or whatever you know just mail it in or phone it in it was kind of cool to see at times them go for like redford cracking that egg and being like getting into that kid's head and that's what they were sort of going for and just unfortunately for me i just didn't get there so would you say that is that your least favorite part like that whole that part or is there something more about the movie that you didn't like i think so because that might have been sort of the biggest payoff like all around for me like if that if they had stuck that landing because it even gets a little worse for me when when garfield goes to his frat house and sits down and watches the tv and they show like this really bad mock-up of some reality show but then the (laughs) the news ticker at the bottom is like the tom cruise act or whatever he did in the and then immediately following that is like the students killed in Afghanistan, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like it just went on and on uh, for me at that point and, and kept fumbling and fumbling and fumbling sort of toward the goalpost. Again, I don't want to say like this is hated or hateable or anything. It's just, I just wasn't feeling it. This is, I think, you know, on my list of ranked Tom Cruise movies on Letterboxd, I think this is third from the bottom, but that's less an effect of this movie than it is he's had almost exclusively good movies. Other, You know what I mean? Like, it's like, 
oh, like, this is not yeah. a bad movie. I gave it three stars. Like, I think it's good. I don't know if I'm going to watch it again. But, like, it's the kind of movie where I'm like, oh, this does not rank highly for him, mostly because he's not in it. But, like, it's also just a testament to, like, we have been spoiled on this show by all of his good movies. Spoiled rotten. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. Michael, what about you? Is there something about this? Is it the Andrew Garfield, Robert Redford thing? Like, what about this would you say is your least favorite part? I agree with Mike where... I don't think that by the end, everything comes together in the way that I think it should. It kind of, like you're saying, it all just kind of happens pretty quickly in succession where it's like, okay, like here's kind of the convergence of these things. But I feel like the payoff, at least for me, I just didn't really feel like it was entirely there. And maybe that was because one of the storylines, the Andrew Garfield one, like just felt kind of like the weak link to me, and then it's kind of the note that you end on. They're going for something interesting, but it it almost felt like the ending of Vice when it's like that focus group, and that girl's like, I just can't <laughs> wait to see Fast and the Furious. And they're like playing that, in like this movie, they're doing the bad reality show and talking about some like rapper, or yeah, some like pop star named like Fate, and like her rapper husband, like Baby Bulldog, or whatever his like ridiculous name was. And you're like, okay, you're like going a little too far. Like, I was like kind of with you, but now you're like pushing it like a little too much. It's weird to me that they did that, that they sort of like said this takes place like not in your reality like why didn't they just use like kim kardashian yeah. or something like that because Agreed. they say like george bush but then i was thinking in the beginning with the did you guys notice like the title cards one of them just says like washington dc one of them says like i think it says something like some university is like the title card really? or just like or just like college university <laughs> like eight in the morning like it's it starts off in this like really generic way where they're not going to use sort of brand names and stuff but they don't stick to that and then by the end they're like creating fictional characters it's like it's really complex to think about. <laughs> yeah it's very meta <laughs> it is weird that they show crews in photos with george w bush with dick cheney mm-hmm. with Condoleezza rice <laughs> Him in his Taps uniform. I don't know if you re- I don't know if you recognize if you mm-hmm. saw that, Mike. But that's a picture from Taps. Him in his uh, military outfit, which I think oh. is very pretty cool, pretty nice touch. I never saw the movie version of this, but like I think something that does it successfully is like Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. I only read the book. I know that the movie is not particularly well liked, probably for a lot I of the same reasons. I did not like it, but I also don't remember it, so I can't speak too much to it. Yeah, but they do that as well, where it's like. They do a lot of, like, blending, like, you know, like, they have Destiny's Child and obviously, like, George Bush and the war in Iraq, but then, like, everything else is kind of, like, a fictionalized version of reality. I think that that does it more successfully. It feels more seamless, and this feels a little bit more choppy with that, where it's like, what? Like, the pop star thing doesn't feel like an important thing to have to change, and it just feels, like, distracting. Like, why wouldn't you just keep that? As someone real. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. Maybe they couldn't get rights. Maybe they thought it was going to be a rights issue. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. It's almost as if in Forrest Gump, they like created a fictional like character for him to interact <laughs> with that was never in our reality or something like that's just sort of like they suddenly just broke a wall like the fifth wall or something and i was like nope <laughs> i'm out <laughs> i'm trying to think of what my least favorite part would be if it's something that we haven't talked about yet there's just some like weird things like i think that most of what i had issues with i talked about i think probably my biggest issue was just cutting away from a story when i wanted to keep watching that particular story but i also do want to say that like i think it's weird in 2005 ish or whatever that there's like that old school old-timey kind of projector where people are making transparent slides (laughs) to show i'm like like why is this not a powerpoint like there's something like that (laughs) no offense to you michael or to meryl but like her singing that song by the who which is like ooh, that's not good that was not (laughs) have you heard the who meet the new boss same as the old it's just like wait what is like it's these little things that are not big deals at all 
but in terms of things we have not talked about, it's just like, well, that took me out of it. It's just like, oh, but then, you know, Meryl from there gets really into, like, failing to connect the dots, and she's, like, all fire. I'm like, that's why you cast Meryl Streep here, but, like, her awkwardly singing. Like, does she have a good singing voice? Does she sing in other movies? Mamma Mia! Right? Oh, oh, my God, how not dare you? I'm so so- <laughs> I am so sorry. I am so, so sorry. I'm leaving this I podcast. To, uh, <laughs> I did not mean to cross the, the holiest of grounds. But so she well, so she can say, but like no. was, it, was <laughs> yeah. that weird that she did that she, that she like 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 off key and flat and weird? I mean, maybe she thought her character was tone deaf. <laughs> was it later where she goes to see Kevin Dunn? Is, yeah. Is it after? Wait, she sort of has like a panic. Attack, she right? leaves she's Cruz like, and goes to him. Yeah. Yeah, and she's like, "There's just a bad. I just got a bad feeling about that guy and everything." So I think it was more of like a choice for the character thing, and like, yeah, she's not exactly in the most comfortable of situations. So okay, I don't know that I have much more to say about this movie. I do want to say that all three of the guys in the diner or wherever they're eating uh, Robert Redford, Michael Pena and the guy who plays Arian all would go on to MCU. I mean everybody goes on to the MCU now but Wait, Robert Redford guy? he plays a soldier I think in Captain America oh. the First Avenger. Like he's just he's on a big part but obviously we have Robert Redford from Winter Soldier. We've got Michael Pena from the Ant-Man movies and then yeah. we've got him like because I just looked on him on Letterboxd like the, the most popular movie the most logged movie is the first Captain America so I was just like oh okay, okay. So they all wound up there at some point. Michael, do you have any other thoughts, any other notes about this before we play a couple of games and then see if we can nominate this for some awards? I was genuinely surprised to see Andrew Garfield in this movie. I was like, what? Because it's like three years before The Social Network and like Never Let Me Go, kind of that like one-two punch of like, oh, like look at this new interesting actor. But he was like in a movie with Robert Redford and Meryl Streep and Tom Cruise like three years before that. And I don't know how I missed that, but I was like, oh. Like, look, Andrew Garfield. And I was like, oh, wait, no, he is like a huge part of this movie. So yeah. that was kind of a pleasant yeah. surprise. I really perked up when the first shot is his face, just like <laughs> right staring at the screen. I was like, wait, what? He's a- Andrew Garfield? I was like, this is okay. He looks extremely young. Yeah. When is this? He Tom- And then I'm like going down the list of everyone else in this movie. And he goes like, yeah, he's head to head with Redford the whole time. So... I don't know, maybe it was just like a discovery or something, but it was that was cool. That was a nice little surprise. The movie now I associate with him is Under the Silver Lake? Silver Lake, right. yeah. And I was like, that's exciting. But then this also movie, this whole, the Robert Redford parts, especially with him being in and him directing, was also giving me flashbacks kind of to the company you keep. You remember that, Mike, with oh, Shia? Oh, Shia. I love Shia plays movie. a journalist. And I was like, oh, that's like, a, Robert Redford makes these quiet, solid movies that like people don't know about, I don't think. And like, I don't know why people don't know about these. I don't know why, <laughs> Michael, to your point, there's a movie with Meryl Streep and Tom Cruise and Andrew Garfield and... Robert Redford, and it's just like, why isn't we talking about this? Why is this a movie that, like, maybe the the title is weird? I don't know. Like, the marketing for this failed in that somebody with a Meryl Streep podcast and two guys with <laughs> a Tom Cruise podcast have not only never seen it, but apparently, seemingly, shown zero interest in ever seeing this movie before today. <laughs> like, it just... Never heard of it. It's yeah. weird, right? It's, it's a weird thing to have happened. <laughs> very, very, very much so. It is like a weird <laughs> mid-2000s footnote of a movie. We're not going to nominate this for the... Uh, best quote i don't think but i do i like tom cruise's like sort of stump speech like do you want to win do you want to win the war on terror yes or no it's the quintessential yes or no question of our time it's just like well like if this was gonna be like an oscar moment like for the best supporting actor just like that right there like do you want to win like don't like don't you love this country essentially it's just like yeah yes i do like <laughs> i'm glad that she has the backbone there to stand up to him because i'd be like yeah yes i, I want it she's basically just like what? Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Very important question, Michael. Do you think, this is a question we asked back in Far and Away, do you think if Tom Hanks was cast in the role of Tom Cruise, of the senator, the young Republican senator, would 
Tom Hanks work in this part, or if not, could he be a, a better fit somewhere else? Is there another character in this movie that he could play? That what an interesting question, especially because in 2007, Tom Hanks was in like the infinitely better Charlie Wilson's War, which deals with a lot oh. of like similar issues and kind that of. That he has... directed? Is that the one he directed? Uh, no, no, that's Mike no, Nichols. No, but that's the one with. Oh, that's Larry um, Crown. Julia Roberts and the master. Uh, I think Tom Hanks would have been too old for this role, just in the sense that I think that the reason it works and is kind of interesting is that Tom Cruise represents like the new generation and this movie comes out in like the last years of the Bush era and I think it's important Mm -hmm. to have like a young person be like okay like we're taking up the mantle like this is like our plan this is like how we like our rhetoric so I think you need someone kind of like more fresh face like Tom Cruise I do think Tom Hanks probably could do the Robert Redford part. And maybe even the street part. I'm going back and forth in my head right now. I feel like the Robert Redford part wouldn't be that much of a stretch for Tom Hanks. The Meryl Streep part, it would be really interesting to see him going against Tom Cruise in that kind of situation. But I don't know if it would necessarily be better, but it would be interesting. He's kind of like a weird middle ground of age. Like, he's six years older than Tom Cruise, so I think I agree with you that he's not hes not quite the next class. He's the current class. Like, he's the current... Like, he is the yeah. establishment. So it doesn't work there. And I almost feel like he's, in a weird way, not old enough to play the Robert Redford part, because I think he's supposed to be, like, a guy who has seen more shit as opposed to just, like, seen some shit. Six years either way, I think he could have played one of those. I think he maybe could have played... I wasn't even thinking about the Meryl Streep part. I think he might work well there. I think he could, in a very, very small part, work as the Kevin Dunn part, or he might also work as the <laughs> Peter Berg part, possibly. Oh, yeah, that'd be interesting. I was thinking the Kevin Dunn part. Don't Hanks and Streep team up like the they did a movie? Yeah, the Post. Yeah. So that's, that would be interesting. So uh, <laughs> as the Kevin Dunn part, as sort of like her partner in reporting. <laughs> the very important question, I don't know if you're going to remember this one either, Michael, but we found a gentleman on Twitter. I upgraded oh, him to gentleman. <laughs> named Harperfect. Mm-hmm. And he said that you can replace Tom Cruise's character name, which I don't know what he is, but he's a, he's a U.S. senator. You can replace his character name in any movie with the name Lightning McQueen and not a thing would change. Do you think in Lions for Lambs, Senator Lightning McQueen, the new face, the next face of the Republican Party, does Senator Lightning McQueen work as a name for Tom Cruise's character? Yes, Senator Lightning McQueen went to uh, college university. He graduated top mm-hmm. of his class. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, he dated the pop star Fate. <laughs> yeah, so it would totally, like, I mean, this universe is like half fake, half real, so like, why not? <laughs> I love oh, it. Perfect answer. We didn't even have perfect. to sell it. It's perfect. <laughs> the other question, I don't think, I think the answer is no, because I don't know when he would have the opportunities. Does Tom Cruise run in this movie? Oh, I got it. He's he's going to run for office. <laughs> <laughs> and bye. All right, so I'll say in parentheses, for office, and then yes to Lightning McQueen. All right. Mike, before we get to the awards, any other thoughts about Lions for Lambs? Yeah, you know, I'm sorry I came down so hard on it, but uh, (laughs) it's just the way I was feeling, the way I felt when I watched it, the way I'm feeling now at the time, sort of thinking about it in my mind. It's, look, it's by no means, like, unwatchable. Like, this is a Robert Redford movie, for crying out loud. And it's, it's, I feel like it's pretty balanced, you know, like, uh, down the line. Like, there's a lot of liberal stuff here and a lot of, like, Republican stuff here. There's a lot of, like, crap, and then there's also, like, a lot of, like, real stuff. So you sort of have to sift through it and, and decode it a little bit. But I also don't think it's, like, an easy movie, necessarily, you know? Like, it keeps sort of jumping around. Um, they keep trying to get, like, real deep and philosophical at times. And, you know, there's a lot of cat and mouse stuff going on. It's very, like we mentioned earlier, it's sort of, like, 
play-ish, like like we're watching a play at times, could do a hell of a lot worse than this. And so, you know, if you're just curious to see a movie with these four actors in it that, you, you know, apparently no one ever knew even existed before today, definitely check it out. Like, it could be for you, for sure. Yeah, where, where does this movie, you mentioned, where does this movie fall down politically? Is it sort of, it's kind of in a weird way, like apolitical, sort of? It doesn't really take a stand either way, or does it? Am I dumb and I don't see what, what well, the stand is taking? I felt like it's taking both stands. I don't know if that's why it doesn't work for me or if that's what it's going... I think that's what it's going for, though, is to sort of be like, look, both sides are right about some things and both sides are wrong about some things. But I'm still not sure. Okay. For the Tom Cruise Awards, an award show that we still do not have a name for... (laughs) Best film, worst film, I think we actually probably should nix the worst film category, because all we have right there is losing it, which I don't want to give the losing worst film to. It. There's p- problems with that film, for for sure. Even in that genre of those types of movies, it's not the worst, you know? It's better than, right. it's still better than Porky's. Like, there's, like, it's gonna, you might be right, there might not be a worse Tom Cruise movie. Like, I know that we have we'll The Mummy see. coming. Like, I know that that's, a, that's in our future. Ooh, and... the dark universe. And I know that that's a thing that we're going to have to deal with at one point, but I don't know that we're going to have five. Like, we're already almost two-thirds of the way through knowing a bunch of what's coming next is good Mission Impossible movies, is Edge of Tomorrow, Top Gun 2. Like, there's things that aren't going to be bad that aren't bad. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... I think we can officially now, almost two-thirds of the way through Cruise Club, nix the category of worst Tom Cruise movie, because... I don't know that there are enough to fill up a category. I love that. We found it, Joey. Like, we found, like, all this time since Cage, what we've been looking for is, like, just good movies. <laughs> well, I think we also found it with Shia for the most part, too. True, true. I feel like some of those, though, were, were a little harder to get through for one reason or another. The Christmas Crash, anyone? Bump. Yeah. You know, and Nymphomaniac 1 and 2. Best cruise role or best supporting cruise role? Do you think, Michael, will go to you, do you think, is this worthy of nominating... Probably not best cruiser because I don't think there's enough of him, but is this on par with him in, like, The Color of Money? Is he, in this movie, worthy of recognition? I think this movie is, like, exponentially better every time he's on screen. Yeah, I think that he makes the movie a lot more interesting. I think, like, it just stands out because you watch and you're like, wait, why has no one been casting him as, like, a constant president or whatever? I mean, he's probably playing, like, a president's bodyguard. But, like, he's a really good, like, senator, governor, presidential player. I think it's worthy. I think it's different. It's interesting. And you're like, ooh, yeah, I I could see this. Plus, his name is Senator Jasper Irving, which is a great name. (laughs) It is great. Oh, Senator Jasper Irving. It's no Lightning McQueen, (laughs) but it's pretty good. It's damn close. I don't know. I think we just didn't have the category possibly, or maybe we added it after the fact, but I'm moving Mike Frank TJ Mackey from best role to best supporting role, because I feel like that's, again, in, in a movie like Magnolia, there is no actual leading mm-hmm. role. Like, that's not... Okay. Like, it wouldn't win, I don't think. I think that's a, a better in the supporting role category. I concur. Most badass role, I'm going to say no. Most daring role to take, I'm going to say no, because, like, to Michael's point, it's like, why isn't he always this? Like, this feels... <laughs> best fight there's no fist fight that he gets into best theme song soundtrack score i'm gonna say no best vehicle chase race no best <laughs> dance scene no cruise outfit wardrobe he looks good in a suit but like it's kind of just a suit right yeah same old yeah. same old right it's not like elvis's jumpsuit right? <laughs> <laughs> wow but imagine that movie huh <laughs> oh president elvis best oh, well i mean elvis nixon met right there's a movie about that right oh, yeah, yeah yeah michael shannon is a great elvis but unfortunately you have um is it kevin uh, spacey kevin spacey yeah uh, best sunglasses no 
Best death, he does not die. Best line, I said I like the one before, but I don't think it's worthy. Best freak out, he doesn't really truly freak out. Best sex scene, no. Most athletic feat, or best athletic feat, no. Best running scene, no. Best or worst love story, no. Best ensemble cast, yes? I mean, yeah, I think so. Yeah, great cast. This is an ensemble, right? Like, even though they don't all meet together, it keeps the movie afloat. Like, you can fault this movie, I think, for a lot of things, and I think a lot of your criticisms make our valid. I know you don't want to come down too harshly on it, but, like, the one thing you can't criticize it for, I don't think, is the casting or the acting. Like, it's just like, this is... Like, they were all, in a way, like, made to play these roles. And then the final categories, best non-cruise actor, male or female. I don't know that anybody is necessarily on screen enough to be nominated for one of these, but is there anybody in this movie that we think should nominate of the best of the best of Cruise Club? Um, probably not. There's not really enough to get a read. That's what kind of inspired the ensemble category. It's like, there isn't a singular leading performance, but the whole, the, the sum of its parts is so good, so like let's give it to all of them. Agreed. As opposed right, to just the right. one. Two awards, Best Cruise Supporting Role and Best Ensemble Cast. So not bad. You know, for a movie that I was afraid to watch when I received the text message on Sunday Sorry. night. Oh, Sorry. no, no, no. It, it, it wound up being a good thing. <laughs> Two awards and an overall, like, pretty good. So... Not bad, not bad at all. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. I I want you to plug at least two things, and then whatever else you want to beyond that. Please talk about your podcast, and please also talk about the wonderful weekend writing that you and Walter do. I mean, Walter does it all week long, but what I look forward to, Uh, aside from the fact that just the weekend weekend is better, what you and Walter do on the weekends for Numlock News. Yes, I have a podcast that I swear has a third season coming out. Oh, it hasn't come out yet? No, it's like really tragic. The good news is part of the reason it didn't come out is that I have a new job, so things have been hectic. So that's like the good news. The bad news is now I'm like, oh, things are hectic. So uh, give me a second to, I mean, I have like four of the episodes recorded. Also, the bad news is that you had to change your Twitter Twitter handle. I did have to change my Twitter handle. Um, You can now follow me at at MJ Domenico, as opposed to at Cape Lunchette with four T's, five if you count the first. Tea. I hope no one ever takes that handle. I think I might just like create an alt account. That's you should just, create, like, yeah, you should create a burner account. Yeah, that just reserves the handle because you know you want. It's all over all these podcasts where that's how I you know tag myself at the end. Um, and the thing that Walter and I do, it's called Numlock Awards. You can sign up at awards.substack.com. I said that really quickly, so I'll say it one more time. It's <laughs> awards.substack.com and I'm not going to like trip over it. And a lot of what we do, so Walter does a lot of quantitative analysis and data analysis to basically predict the Oscar winners in like kind of the major categories. So best picture, director, and the acting categories. Then I kind of just look at, you know, the bigger picture. What are the award season narratives? Where are some of the fun things going on? I will be doing some of the lesser known categories. I got a lot of like positive feedback last year when I dived into like best, you know, live action short because those categories always have like this weird drama or these funny narratives or these like, you know, there was a petition last year to recall one of the nominees in live action short. There's been like all kinds of crazy things going on in all those categories all the time. That is what we do on the weekends. And again, that's at awards.substack.com. Very cool. And since we are like six or seven weeks into you guys doing this, if you go to awards.substack, I can't even say it. If you go to the (laughs) URL, you can view the archives. You can see all of the things that you guys have written because it's still, in a certain sense, timeless. Like you're sort of, like Walter especially is kind of predicting Mm -hmm. award shows and like what it's going to mean. But like it all still, like the the narratives that you're following still track. So you can see all the archives if you go there. Yeah, so you can definitely go through the stuff, see if you like it, like you can read it before and then, you know, hopefully you like and you uh, sign up and you can hear from us 
on the weekends. Wonderful. Well, I hope you do because it is a very fun read, and also it also like especially Walter stuff like gives me ammunition when people are like, <laughs> "How could this have possibly have happened at the Oscars?" It's like, well, let me tell you, the demographics are changing like mad, and here's the stats to prove it. And I thank both of you. Uh, for doing. Oh, thank you for reading and thank you for uh, letting us plug it. Next week on Hanks for the Memories on our other feed, you and I are going back in time almost a decade to 1998 to talk oh, about yeah. You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail. Oh, great movie. Right. I can't wait. Now with my newfound respect and appreciation ever since Yeah, uh, Michael, I gotta say that Seattle. when we watch Sleepless in Seattle, Mike's <laughs> world changed. And he's like, oh, I understand rom-coms now. And I was like, this is the movie? That's really like, we funny. We saw so many good Cage movies, but this is the one? Alright. It opened my eyes. Like, what can I say? Yeah, uh, that's also so a great one. To this. So we've got that coming next week. And then in two weeks, we've got another supporting Tom Cruise performance from 2008 in Tropic Thunder. Uh, I've only seen that movie once. I am a little worried to rewatch it, (laughs) being able to just focus solely on Tom Cruise. We'll see how that goes. But you've got mail next week, Tropic Thunder in two weeks. And for all things Cruise Club and all 26 shows, including the episodes that Michael has been on, including Too Fast, Too Forever, where we introduced him (laughs) to the Fast and Furious franchise, and also past episodes of other shows, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us run at cageclub.me like I said come back next week on our Hanks for the Memories feed for You've Got Mail come back in two weeks for Tropic Thunder there's only like 14-ish 13, 14 other Tom yeah. Cruise movies past this like we're, we're I know. closing in on the end I didn't realize that when we started that they're not going to end together <laughs> it totally slipped my mind to even look at that I'm Joey Lewandowski and I'm Mike Manzi and that was Michael Domenico of the Not Her Again podcast and we'll see you next time right here on Cruise Club.